Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Any Given Sunday Dynasty League pod. We have Cameron Haynes, a.k.a. the original Dynasty, um, on with us today to talk about all things winning and success. Before we jump into our scheduled stuff, Cameron, how you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing? I mean, I can't complain. Um, for those of you who maybe have forgotten, Cameron is now a new dad. He is experiencing the joys and not so much joys of fatherhood. <laughs> you may look tired every day from here on out. So that's just something you, you might want to get used to. Um, what is your daughter's full name? It's Avery Haynes. What's the middle name there? Emerson. Oh, that's Avery beautiful. Emerson Haynes. That's beautiful, man. Uh, you don't look any worse for the wear. Still got that <laughs> handsome beard rocking. So that's good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's start here. Um, I want to start today by just picking your brain. Um, in preparation for this pod, let me give the reader or the listeners something to, to think about. Uh, since we began our league in 2019, you have a 73% win percentage, which is 16% higher than any other owner in our league. You have won a championship. You have taken third place. But what stands out about your success is what you've been able to do in the draft and in the waivers. In 2020, let's review your draft real quick. You ready? DeAndre Swift in the first round, Antonio Gibson in the second. In the fourth round, you landed Brian Edwards and Chase Claypool. And in the fifth, you walked home with Devin Duvernay. Last year, over the last couple of years, here are some waiver wire guys you've hit on before they broke out. Deontay Johnson, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver one. James Robinson, the running back four. Miles Gaskin, uh, Mike Davis, Robbie Anderson, Tony Pollard, Gus Edwards, the list goes on. Dude, I have so many questions that I want to ask you because you've hit on seemingly everything you've done. You're like King Midas of the fantasy space. Let's start here. What is your strategy as you approach drafts? See, the, the funny thing is, it's changed with every draft. I mean, the, the rookie draft, when we first started the league, I kind of was just taking best player available, who I actually knew the name of. The thing is, I, I've actually been so much more into fantasy since this league started. The guys, like, I kind of just picked names I knew when I, we first drafted, and it kind of worked out to where maybe you guys took some rookies, some young guys, and took more risk on. And I took guys that were somewhat proven. Like, I took... Thielen and Woods and a lot of older guys, wide receivers. Um, I mean, I lucked out with Eckler in like the 13th round. So that was a lucky pick. Um, but I mean, uh, sum this all up. I think fantasy football is like 50% strategy and 50% luck. And that's just like the title of this, this podcast. Not that <laughs> I'm good at fantasy football, but that half of it's luck. Um, and so best player available kind of was my... Um, mantra for the rookie draft but the last year I knew I needed running backs so I went I actually wanted if if you remember I tried to trade away 105 because I didn't want Swift <laughs> and but nobody wanted it so I ended up taking Swift and it worked out uh, and then Bishop really wanted Swift so I got extra first and Cam Akers this offseason so and I really liked that trade yeah um I drafted Gibson and Claypool fell to me. I mean, it seems like everybody missed on Claypool. It's not like I went out and targeted Claypool. I took Edwards over Claypool. So Claypool was, I mean, he was fantastic his rookie year. 
Um, I think he has a ton of talent. Just see if uh, the Steelers uh, can utilize it. But Gibson was Gibson was also a lucky a lucky pick. I mean, I picked Gibson over guys like AJ Dillon and some of those other second round pick running backs, um, mostly for pretty much just anything I read about Gibson. He could be the next McCaffrey. He's a physical freak, and it just kind of lucked out. The sad part is I traded him away to Bishop before he even got on the field. And then I traded him away to Justin. So this this guy is like the Al, he's the next Alvin Kamara. He's going to pass through everyone's team before it's all said and done. So it was, it was a lot of luck in last year's draft, too. I mean, somebody could have taken Swift over me if I would have traded out, and I could have ended up with Henry Ruggs or somebody, some wide receiver that busted. But um, this past draft this year, uh, I, I tried to get as many picks as I could because I knew this with the Devi, it this could build on the next few years because you'll have the best players for possibly three years if you can get some of those high guys that are high talented. And so I, I went into this draft trying to get as many running backs as I could, uh, but then I fell in love with Kyle Pitts, so I took him first anyways with my first pick. But I wanted as many of the Devi running backs as I could, so I got Brees Hall <coughs> and uh, Jameer Gibbs. And I really like those picks because, I mean, those were two solid running backs that, like like Nick said, I think my future draft strategy, I mean, I'll, best player available makes sense in certain situations. But, I mean, when you can take five-star running backs with these Debbie, you want they, – they have the high success rate, least amount of bust. And so I want to try – I think in the future I'm just all running backs and trade for receivers and other players, um, running back needy teams. Um, while while it makes sense, you trying to get all the top talented wide receivers, just the bust rate alone can be tough. I mean, while the running back versus wide receivers, it's different stra- uh, drafting versus rostering, in my opinion. While wide receivers may be a little more valuable to roster, drafting running backs, I think, is more valuable to draft just because of the less the less bust rate. And if they get second or first round draft capital, they're they're almost guaranteed to have value. Um, and you I mean, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. The bust rate of wide receivers is historically very, very high. And you're also right in saying that running backs, generally speaking, you can go through 24-7 sports history and just find the highest rated running back and they just succeed. Uh, that's just kind of what they do. I'm yeah. actually looking right here just for fun. Let's go to 20, I don't know, I'm just choosing a random year. Let's see here. This is good podcasting right here. This is what <laughs> everyone wants to hear. Um, okay, we're going to hit up, let's look at the worst running back year in 24-7 sports history, where they got the most wrong, and we'll see that, like, even when everything goes wrong, they still get so much right comparative to the running back. So, one of the worst years ever considered is the 2011 uh, 24-7 class for running backs. That is what everyone believes was like the worst ever. Of that, you had Isaiah Crowell, who had a thousand yard season, Malcolm Brown, who's been relevant, um, and then a couple of busts, you know, Brandon Williams, Savon Huggins. But then you have Devonta Freeman. You have, um, I mean, even later round guys, Melvin Gordon, Bishop Sankey, uh, that hit. And so even when running backs, quote unquote, bust, the grand majority of them in the worst class in 24 7 sports history. 
that they that they missed on the most still had of the five and four stars four or five that went on to the NFL that same year. Uh, you look at the wide receivers that were available in the twenty four seven Sports composite: George Farmer, Trey Matoyer. You did have Jarvis Landry and Sammy Watkins, but then you had Teron Peak, DeAnthony Arnett, Kaysen Williams, Marvin Shin, Jamal Turner, Victor Blackwell, Nicholas Brussell, Jackson Shipley, who I believe went on to play. I think he went on to play a kicker, actually. Davarius Daniels, DeHockwell Williams, on and on the list goes, and there's no one good. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at one of the best running back or the worst running back classes and the best wide receiver classes, and look at those bust rate comparisons. Wrong. And then your selection there, Brees Hall, I think is one of the best in the draft. Uh, I know that Nick talked about it. I know you've talked about it. But let me just quickly, for those people at home who maybe don't know as much about Brees Hall, the dude led the NFL in rush or the NCAA last year in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. He is unbelievable. His yards per attempt is one of the highest efficiency ratings. And by the way, he was behind one of the worst rated offensive lines in the Big 12. I mean, he didn't have a good offensive line and he continually dominated. Um, I think his ceiling is ironically other Iowa State running back David Montgomery. Uh, for now, but I believe that it wouldn't surprise me at all if starting, if he proves it again next year, he goes into the NFL draft and he becomes immediately a top 15 running back in the vein of Najee Harris. In fact, not to get too controversial, if he was in this year's class, Brees Hall, I probably would have taken him above Najee and Travis Etienne. He would have been my RB1. But. Hot take. <laughs> Maybe not for Etienne, uh, but for Harris. Anyways, go yeah, ahead. Harris is uh, Harris the, is an enigma. He's like a grandpa. The only thing that I don't like about him is that he's twenty four. I don't know why, but that just sticks out as a, a red flag. Well, do you and know how many running backs have come to the NFL at twenty four and actually succeeded? I'm sure you have a stat for that. I do. There is none, so it, he would be the first. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's way too old for me to, to trust, um, which I know Nick somewhere is like rolling in his grave because, you know, Nick loves old guys. Um, but love you, Nick. Just kidding. You are an old guy, so I guess I get it. Uh, let's move on here to the next question. What are you looking for in these waiver wire gems that you hit on? What, what Like when you snag a player from the wire, what is your rationale? What are you looking for? Um, so mainly I'm looking for running backs that have the potential to – at least get a role in an offense. So my my two kind of categories I throw them in is the first and the best is ambiguous backfields. Either the starter isn't clear or the starter isn't talented, and there is a chance that they could secure that backfield. Um, I think this is the, the best way of getting a top running back, but it's also it's an easy fail because who knows, it's kind of it's a shot in the dark. But, I mean, let's look at some of the guys I picked. I picked up James Robinson, dropped him before he saw the field. Sad. But I got Gaskin, Davis, um, and Edwards kind of from that situation where I didn't believe in the starter or the backfield was ambiguous. I mean, the Dolphins, the Dolphins, uh, they didn't have really anybody. And same with the Jaguars. Um, Ravens have a heavy committee, and that was before they drafted Dobbins. So, uh, but it's also for the the handcuffed aspect of it. I mean, Davis is ma mainly can't handcuff. Um, it's 
handcuff and backfields that produce high amount of fantasy points is the other one. It's like, I mean, McCaffrey went down. Davis immediately became a top 10 running back, even though he was incredibly inefficient and had some terrible games. Uh, he, I mean, he was, a, he became valuable. And then yet somehow he's still valuable. Somebody come trade for him. <laughs> but, yeah, I yeah. I was just about to say, so this year you just picked up, uh, last night actually, you picked up Elijah Mitchell off the waiver wire. Uh, on your roster, you have Gerald Dokes, um, you have Larry Roundtree, uh, you have Mike Davis. You, you've, again, hit that ambiguous backfield so much. Um, just out of curiosity, out of, you have three running backs here in a row, Ty Johnson, Elijah Mitchell, Gerald Dokes. Uh, Ty Johnson out of New York Jets. Uh, Elijah Mitchell and Sam Fran, and then Gerald Dokes out of Miami. Out of those three, which one of those three do you believe has the highest chance of taking the starting job in their respective teams? Ty Johnson, uh, then Dokes with the Dolphins, and then Mitchell. Um, okay. I, while I don't believe San Francisco even has a starting running back, um, I think I think Mostert and Sermon definitely have the top two spots currently. I think Wilson would have also been ahead of him if he hadn't got hurt. So I think Mitchell may be more of a role player to start out. And then if injuries do happen, which they definitely happened last year, then he could he could definitely have a good role on the team. But no, Ty Johnson, I think, I mean, the Jets backfield is a bunch of scraps. Um, I really don't, I mean, people choose Carter just because he was drafted, but I, I, I'm not necessarily confident he can be a, at least not a bell cow running back for that team. I'm sure they'll have some sort of committee, and can you get some value from it? It's kind of where I'm looking, so I picked up Ty Johnson. Which, by the way, I say the Elijah Mitchell is my favorite of those three to win the starting job. Um, actually, I don't want to say win the starting job, because Kyle Shanahan, he doesn't really believe in starting running backs, but I would say <laughs> that I think he has the most immediate path to fantasy relevance. It wouldn't surprise me at all if week two, Elijah Mitchell's a 15-point score. Um, and then not a 15-point score again until week 11. And then maybe he has a two- or three-week run, and then he's irrelevant. I mean, think about Jarek McKinnon last year, who, like, for random stretches decided that, I don't know, I think Kyle Shanahan has, like, a four-sided dice, and he just, like, walks in before the game, drops it on the clipboard, and is like, okay, today it is sweet. Elijah Mitchell, it's your up. Let's your, it's your week. Let's go. Um, also, to be a Kyle Shanahan running back, I was reading a whole bunch of like articles on this, doing some deep dive studies, just out of curiosity. The injury rates of a Kyle Shanahan running back is insanely high, and it's because the system of offense they run is basically like, can you run fast, and also, are you fearless? Uh, and then, awesome, take an outside counter to a naked linebacker and just hope you don't it's die. The, it's the same um, idea, though. I mean, yeah. Debo <laughs> runs through people, but he gets hurt. <laughs> I think Kyle Shanahan just like, and Brandon Ayuk, I mean, I feel like he just goes around as like, I think the college interviews, it, you know, most people are like, hey, tell me about your family. Tell me about your background. That's not Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan looks someone in the eye and he's like, do you want to live? And <laughs> if they look at him and say, no, he's like, awesome. I have a roster spot for you. His number one characteristic is like, are you fast? And also, can I, are you have soulless eyes? Can I look through you and see no will to live? Fan freaking tastic. You're going to be a pro bowler. Uh, but anyway, we digress. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's move on here to um, the last question I have for you here. What has been your favorite draft pick you've ever made or waiver wire move you've ever made? 
Um, so I think it's either Kelsey or Eckler, and I can't really decide. And which is it's funny because I mean, like, I don't know, I feel like at least for the rookie draft last year, where I got Swift, Claypool at good value, um, I felt like those guys lucked into me. Like, see, that's the thing. It's like I hit on those guys, but I didn't want Swift. I picked other guys who had less dra- like draft capital ahead of Claypool. So those guys kind of looked, uh, it fell to me, I guess. But Kelsey and Eckler, I mean, I went out, I don't know what round I got Kelsey and I don't have the draft up right now, but it was probably top three rounds. I think I had Chubb and Thomas first too. So it was probably either three or four that I got Kelsey in that rookie draft. And Kelsey, I mean, Kelsey's my favorite player. I think it's so nice to have a good tight end. It's, I mean, you can't, you can't even, uh, quantify how good it is. I mean, he Hawkinson, who was my backup tight end, was tight end five last year. And he had 140 points. Kelsey almost, he had 120 more than that. I mean, it's just, you're almost doubling the amount of the, the rest of the league in, in terms of tight end. He was a wide receiver four if he was a wide receiver. Uh, and, and then Eckler, Eckler getting him in the 13th round, I think was a steal, especially even just for what he did the one year I had him um, being a top eight running back. Well, and uh, to, just to quantify some things here, you got him at 308. So the last pick in the third round, Travis Kelsey. Um, and <clears throat> what's amazing about that Eckler pick is Eckler went at the end of kind of, at the beginning of a little bit of a running back run. Uh, you drafted him directly after Jordan Howard. Um, you, here's the running backs you drafted him after. And I think this is a fun little study to do. You ready for this? Yeah. You drafted him over Damian Williams. Uh, Tevin Coleman, after after these guys, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, Rashad Penny, Kareem Hunt, David Johnson, James White, Devin Singletary, Darnell Henderson, Tariq Cohen, uh, Royce Freeman, and Jordan Howard. Most of those guys don't even play football anymore, and you got Eckler after that. That is an absolute steal. Looking at the draft board here quickly, I think you actually hit the running back steal of the draft. Um, uh, and that that pick is incredible because at that year, 2019, he wasn't necessarily destined for a breakout season. So, uh, yeah, that was that was an incredible pick. And Travis Kelsey, uh, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-show that uh, there's like a 68.5% win rate of championship teams who have Travis Kelsey on their roster. Uh, he is a championship fighter, uh, which, by the way, is one of the rationales for the crazy trade that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, Cameron, as you've been trying to like find the balance between winning now and building for the future, uh, you've managed to do it very, very well. You've maneuvered it very successfully. I mean, you have Chubb and Barkley, but also you have Akers, Hall, and Gibbs. Uh, you've reloaded your older wide receivers like Godwin and Hopkins with C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle, Brandon, Ayuk, and Garrett Wilson. Uh, I'd, give us some insight on how you try to find that balance and work through that, trying to win now and build for the future. See, see, the funny thing is, like, and I've, I, I want to win now, but I love the potential in youth. Like, the thing is, I'm, I, I'm intrigued by what you have been trying to do for two years and are now giving up on. <laughs> like, rebuilding with potential in youth and building, like, the perfect team that builds up, like, that. I'm intrigued by it. And so I have a lot of youth on my team. I kind of after that first year I won the championship, I got rid of a lot of older guys that are still productive. I got rid of Thielen, Woods, um, some of the older guys on my team and tried to reload and get a little younger. 
um, from that rookie draft where I, I was a little older. Um, but I also want to keep some of my top guys to where, and I don't care how old they are. I mean, I traded for Hopkins. I wish I wouldn't have traded Thomas, so take that for what it is. <laughs> and, uh, like, I mean, I want guys that are productive that have that wide receiver one ceiling. Uh, I think Godwin can be a um, a wide receiver one as well as DJ Moore, a lot of these guys that are also in that mid-tier about to hit their peak. Um, but then I also have, I mean, I don't know, I have like five 22-year-old wide receivers on my team. So I, I have a lot of potential if three of those guys hits their ceilings. I mean, that's I'm set for a long time. If one of those guys hit the ceiling, then you're <laughs> set for a long time. I mean, that's the beauty of this is that you, you have so many guys that like, and like outside of the big game guys, uh, looking at your roster, I mean, yes, you have Claypool, you have Lamb, you have Higgins, you have IU. Holy crap. I didn't realize you had all of them. That's terrifying. But um, you also have other guys that I think could bust out in a huge way. Um, Guys like deep on your taxi or, I mean, your tight ends even. Hawkinson, Ferkser. Um, you have running backs like like we talked about earlier with Davis and Roundtree and Dopes and Mitchell. If one of those guys hits, you have the potential realized and you have the starter, incoming starters. And even if you decide to just flip the older guys for the younger guys or vice versa, you've reloaded with so many, let's view them as stock assets that at any given time you could cash in for some serious equity. Um yeah, that's been something incredible. In fact, every podcast we've had, you've always been the one who, like, when I had Nick on a couple weeks ago, when I had Justin on a couple weeks before that, you're always the team that everyone's like, dang. Like, <laughs> everyone thinks you're good. They look at your roster, and then they're like, oh, crap. You're even better than we thought you were. Not to mention you have so much draft capital over the next couple of years to just continue to reload. Um, to kind of pivot out of, like, hyping you up because let's be honest your your ego is absolutely expanding beyond uh all recognition let's put you on the stand here you're going to be the great arbiter and settle some league debate since you are kind of the king of our league bring peace uh to us fighting in your midst uh let's start with the immediate one um uh, dang i don't even want to but i feel like we have to let's talk about the great kyle pitts trade um bring people in a little bit from your side of it what happened what went down uh, pull down the curtain and let them see uh, the, the trade negotiations. And then um, do you think it's as life's lopsided as everyone else thinks it is? Yes, I do. But we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so like it, it was like noon on whatever day that was. And Bishop sends me, I think it was, I think it was this Watson. That's, that's how many counters we had is I couldn't even go down to see the initial trade offer. <laughs> Watson, Debo, uh, Mark Andrews, and I don't know what pick it was, but I think it was a pick for Pitts. And that was it. And that alone, like, I think is an overpay. Like, I if, if I wasn't greedy and I wanted to keep Pitts, I probably would have accepted that. But the funny thing is, I really like Pitts. I mean, I took him at 104, which is, I mean, that's high for a tight end. And so I pretty much told Bishop up front, I was like, you're going to have to overpay if you want Kyle Pitts. And after 12 hours of negotiating, <laughs> we came to an agreement. But I didn't want Watson. I didn't want Debo. I wanted T. Higgins. Um, and I, I, I wanted Andrews for another tight end uh, to get back in the deal. And then two firsts is what it ended up being on top of uh, Higgins and Andrews. But, I mean, we, we went back and forth. I mean, after like eight hours of negotiating, I think Bishop was like, okay, that's too much. I can't do it. I'll, I'll let me know if you, like, want to – lower your uh, price, whatever. And then 10 minutes later, he sent me another offer. 
<laughs> so it was like it was like Bishop obviously really wanted Pitts, and I, I mean, see that's what this is where the do you think it was lopsided? If Pitts is a, hits his ceiling, um, I think it could be worth it. Um, obviously, having I love I love Kelsey, so it's 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 such an advantage having a top tight end, especially one that's twenty. If he hits his ceiling sooner or has a longer peak of his ceiling, uh, I mean, Kelsey didn't have his first real top year until he was, what, like 26 or 27? So it's it's if he can hit his ceiling sooner and he could have a longer period of that peak, it definitely could be worth it. Um, but it also factors in, I mean, Higgins can't hit his ceiling. Andrews, I then traded for Claypool. Claypool can't hit his ceiling. Um, and I also have two first that could be, who knows? I mean, it could be good picks. It could be busts. So um, it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of the fact that you gave me four top players, a tight end that's already proven to be a good asset, a rookie wide receiver who had a good year and is in an upcoming offense. And then two first, it's just, a, it's just a lot of capital. So I, I do believe it's as lopsided as they say, as Nick was alluding to, but if he hits a ceiling, I, it may be worth it. Well, I don't know, man. To me, it's just I, I'm an analytics-minded guy. Like, I always am stat-driven. And you're looking at a guy with a 99% speed score, uh, 98% 40-yard dash time, 80% burst score, on and on and on. And we have a college dominator of, like, twenty, almost 25% of the team's market share went to him. He broke out at 19 years old. He went to the NFL draft at 20. I... Yeah, you're right. It could it could turn out to be the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. But also, if he hits and I get Travis Kelsey at 24 instead of 26 or 23 instead of 26 or by some miracle 20 instead of 26, I, uh, I'm i going to ride that into the sunset for all eternity. Uh, so that kind of hurt, but we'll move on. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Zeke versus Tony Pollard conversations between Justin and Nick? Uh, the, there was a bunch of wagers made between Justin and Nick and me and Nick. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole Tony Pollard versus Ezekiel uh, Elliott stuff? Tony Pollard is not as good as you guys were making it is, and Zeke's not as like I mean he is at, he's twenty five, but he has the most touches out of any player in the league, other than like Ingram, I think. Um, so he's definitely got a lot of wear and tear. But I, I don't believe Zeke is. I think he has two more top years in him. I think he was great last year until, like, the entire offense went to the crapper. Um, Pollard, I mean, just because Pollard has better efficiencies numbers and a bad offense does not mean that he's better. He had less opportunities. He wasn't as targeted. I mean, everybody knows Zeke's the better running back. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Zeke has also has the money. So, I mean, Jerry Jones is not going to give up the backfield while he's still paying Zeke. A ton of money, um, so I believe I believe out of those two bets, Justin has a much higher likelihood of winning the bet just because it's snaps on the field, and Pollard Pollard obviously they still do have somewhat of a committee, so Pollard can't get that snap share, um, but the yards, the usage still is going to be in Zeke's favor, whether he's better or not, which I still believe he will be. Um, I believe the the yards will definitely still be in Zeke's favor. I definitely believe that Zeke's the better running back overall. Um, I'm just banking on coach speak that happened last year that they're going to try to rely on him as more of the ground and pounder and take some wear and tear off of those open field catches. 
Uh, let's be honest, though. I think the most likely chance I have of winning that is if either Zeke or Pollard miss more than two games, and this is all nullified. Um, let's let's just. I'm not hoping for an injury. I'm hoping for like a stubbed toe. Let's let's just let's make that happen, guys. Um, on the last pod, Nick and I kind of got into our regular conversation, challenging each other's dynasty uh, evaluations. Uh, I am notoriously known as the zero RB guy. I love wide receivers, and he is. He thinks wide receivers are dumb and absolutely loves running backs. Um, obviously, you're not allowed to give the cop-out answer of both, but, like, what is your – where do you kind of lean in your dynasty evaluations of players? So, I mean, this is only my third year of dynasty, and even though I've been extremely successful, as we all have talked about so far, <laughs> um, I, I, I can't imagine not having a top running back and winning a league. And I, even if there's all the data about how, and you believe, are wholeheartedly in wide receivers have, wide receivers have longer longevity. Um, they have more value. I mean, the thing is, running backs, the running back one scores more than the wide receiver one, right? And the running back 40 scores less than the wide receiver 40. So you have a lot more wide receivers that could give you value and a lot less running backs that can give you top value. I mean, that's just a fact. Running backs get hurt a lot. So if you have McCaffrey and Barkley last year, you were just out of luck. And so it's it's just kind of that balance. And so I try to find I, – I, the thing is, it's both. But <laughs> it's not the either extreme. And I and I and so I lean more towards what Nick is saying because if you look at his roster, he's obviously a very balanced roster. I mean, he does have four, maybe three start running backs. I can't remember. He trades a lot. But – um, you are definitely, especially now, going all wide receiver. I mean, you just trade away JT. You're trying to wait, trade away Swift, if anybody doesn't know that. <laughs> that uh, trade a top wide receiver for Bishop for Swift, if you want them. But, I, I, I mean, it's, it's more in the middle. But like I said, wide receiver, because we do have three wide receivers and two flex, wide receivers may be a slightly more valuable, but you still need a top running back. Uh, in my opinion. And the fact that I, I try, I'm trying to look at Dynasty in like a three-year window, I don't care that a wide receiver could have value for eight years necessarily. I want a rookie for a uh, running back for his rookie contract and then trade him away, which is going to be hard because I love Nick Chubb. But I think running backs have the most value while they're on their rookie contract. Um, they have the most productivity on the rookie contract and they have the less bust rate from the draft. So I think the running back is easiest to hit on. And then wide receivers, obviously, if you can get a top guy that produces every year, Hopkins, Thomas, um, Adams, Tyree Kill, any of those guys are obviously uh, uh, extremely valuable, almost possibly more valuable. It's just the consistency. If, if you can get a wide receiver that's consistently top eight, I mean, he's. I think he's more valuable for, than a running back, but he has to do it longer than the running back. Yeah, I think you're totally right on all that. Um, this is just where the cockiness of Bishop Darby knows no bounds because I believe I can hit on all of my wide receivers all the time. Uh, but no, I think that's a very fair assessment there. Um, let's move on to the next little debate that you need to you need to kind of arbit arbitrate arbit. You need to decide between. There we go. Uh, let's let's consider this debate that has been happening a lot amongst the uh, the commissioners. How do you balance Davy Devi assets versus present assets? So the guys that you're getting for the future and the guys you have now, how do you find that balance or value? That's 
That's tough. Um, so I, I'm still trying to figure that out. But like Brees Hall, if this wasn't a Debbie draft, say we didn't have Debbie, Brees Hall, I believe, should be a top two pick in our rookie draft next year or in rookie drafts next year. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Brees Hall should be worth a early first. Gibbs should be worth an early first in 23. That's how I think about it. I mean, the top two running backs should be the top four picks every year, in my opinion, top three or four picks. And so if I have a top two running back in either class, they're an early first. And so I've just added an early first to my roster. Sure, they take up a roster spot, but for a late first this year. And I think that's extremely valuable. Um, in my opinion, I'm, tr I'm trying to get a taxi full of Debbie. I want 10, maybe eight players that are Debbie, like Debbie players that I believe will have value, um, top value when they come out of, into the league. Um, it, it, I mean, it's tough. How, I, I don't really know how to value them necessarily. It's still kind of a ebb and flow, but I... And a lot of the trade calculators out there, like, are extremely youth-focused. Uh, I mean, I, I the trade calculators, I think, are tough right now. I mean, I use Keep Trade Cut a lot, and they are, I mean, because it, it's like you put in your, every. it's kind of like what everybody thinks. Um, that's how they get their value. It's very youth-focused. It's a bunch of Bishop Starbies on there. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's tough because, like, Najee Harris is, like, a top eight running back right now on keep trade cut or something. And, like, Jamar Chase is, like, a top nine before he's even played a snap. And it's, it's tough because, like, you would say, like, the top running back in each class should be just as valuable as those guys. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of tough to value them. Um, oh, what do you think? What, what is the well, commissioner's thought? Well, uh, depends on the commissioner. If you, <laughs> um, I, I believe that like the, the Debbie has a lot of value uh, for what you just said. You know, a guy that I draft at 308 could be the 104 two years from now, three years from now even. And so my value, my first valuation is just get value. Uh, Travion Henderson is going to be more than likely a first round pick in 2024. So I have to wait a truckload of time I'm going to be old and gray by the time he can play in the league but I don't care because I've basically taken a fourth round pick that was probably going to bust and hit on a guy that has a less likely chance of busting and yeah I have to wait for him but that's what the taxi squad's for like you said I'm okay running a taxi squad full of guys that even if I have to wait for uh whatever that bun bunchy bunchy whatever uh, from 2036 if I have to wait for him sure I'll do it uh, that's kind of the way I value it. I also heavily value Debbie assets because of the upside. Um, so like there's shows that people listen to like the fantasy footballers or Matthew Barry or all of those guys. And they, what they try to do is keep their predictions accurate, but they don't, they're not really help people win because what they're like is this guy's not going to bust. I don't want a team full of guys who aren't going to bust. I want a team full of guys who have, I can swing with the fences with and believe they could be home run hitters. Debbie assets offer that more than um, players that are in the league sometimes. So like, for instance, do I want David Montgomery or do I want Jameer Gibbs? I want Jameer Gibbs uh, because I know what David Montgomery is. David Montgomery is a running back 15 for the rest of his life. Jameer Gibbs could be a running back one. Um, now he may not be, he may bust. So I'm always going to be risk. Uh, I'm going to take on risk. 
uh, and I'm going to swing for the upside of players. Do I want Traylon Burks or do I want Adam Thielen? I want Traylon Burks um, because I know what Adam Thielen is. I know what Traylon Burks, I, I think I know what Traylon Burks could be. Uh, but you have Parker, on the other hand, who did, doesn't have a single Debbie asset and is like, forget that. That's so much risk. I'm scared to death. And you have Justin, who being Justin is like, well, I think it's in the middle. And I'm like, pick a side, you coward. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of the way I value it. Um, and by the way, if anyone's looking for dynasty calculators, key trade cuts, great. Um, the one I use is called Dynasty Dominator. Uh, it's Stu Roto Underworld. Phenomenal. Um, a lot of the other ones I use involve subscriptions. So, I get it, but I think those two are really good uh, things to look at. Um, lastly, let's kind of end out this this little arbiter section here with you picking, repicking the 101. You're sitting on the clock. The 101 is in your lap, which if that ended up happening, I may jump off the cliff because that would be the most unfair thing in the world. You get to choose Chase, Harris, or ETN. Who do you pick and why? See, I, I I don't like ETN on the Jaguars. I don't care that he's first-round capital. I don't care that that means he should be good. I don't like the Jaguars at all right now. I don't know. Something about Urban Meyer and everything he says just makes me feel uneasy in my stomach with how quickly he should be fired. Like, it's just, uh, it's just bad. But I think I would go Harris, and that's solely based on what I've said earlier. I don't like that he's 24. I don't like the Steelers have Swiss cheese offensive line, uh, but a running back should hit, and the Steelers are known for bell cow running backs. Um, and if they have a top running back they believe in, he should be a bell cow for his rookie contract four years-ish, four or five years. So I probably would take Harris. Um, Pitts and Chase is a toss-up. I honestly almost lean Pitts just because of the tight end. Um I think Pitts is almost more astonishing as a athlete um, than Chase, and he's also a tight end. I mean, the dude has like a seven foot wingspan and can run a four four four. Yeah, so it's it's, it's, it's insane. But the thing is, if I was also drafting, I wouldn't have the one on one because I don't necessarily. I wanted whoever fell to me. That was my I like I liked the one hundred four in the end because I wanted whoever fell to me. Um, and then I also wanted as many of the Debbie running backs, and I knew I didn't want to draft in that high. So that's kind of my thoughts. But I think Harris would be the one one Yeah, to me, um, just to put some context in some things, I'm not in any other. This is my only one quarterback league I'm in. Um, and so I'm usually in, like, super flex stuff. But in super flex rookie startups, I've seen Kyle Pitts go one one three times. Wow. Over Trevor Lawrence, where quarterbacks are super duper valuable, over Trey Lance, over Justin Fields. Um, and so that's insane to me. Uh, for what you just said, I mean, I think you're right, especially in a one quarterback league, quite frankly, it, it, I, I think you can make the argument. To me, it would be an argument between Chase and Pitts as the 101. Uh, but then again, you know, I don't care about running backs. So let's wrap it up here with some quick hitting questions. Uh, so give me your answers. And we'll, we'll try to fly through these. Uh, who is a Debbie guy? you are keeping an eye on that has not yet been drafted in our league. And it has to be one player. <laughs> it could be a couple. <laughs> yeah. Bryce Young and whoever plays at quarterback this year for Ohio State. Will Shipley. Uh, I think he's running back Clemson, five-star running yeah. back Clemson. Um, 
And then, because I'm an OSU fan, I, I really like Marvin Harrison Jr. Dude had an unbelievable spring game. I mean, I know it's a spring game, but he's 6'3 and looks the part. And, it, I mean, of course, he has, like, six other studs in front of him, but man looks like like he could be getting tips from his dad. And then Caleb Burton, <laughs> as well, is a five-star quarterback coming to Iowa State. So he's, I think, 2025 draft class or NFL rookie class. So, uh, so those are some of the guys. I think Will Shipley is the, the biggest uh, guy, that five-star running back, that probably should have been drafted but wasn't. Will Shipley, for those of you guys who don't know, was number one overall athletic running back or dual threat running back. Uh, he is a 2024 eligible player out of Clemson. His high school tape is unbelievable. The downside, that the reason he wasn't drafted by many is his size is a little underwhelming. Uh, and so we have to kind of see him prove that out on the field. Uh, the Ohio State quarterback debate between Kyle McCord, five-star quarterback, uh, el class eligible 2024, and um, CJ Stroud, and CJ Stroud uh, quarterback 2023. A um, lot of really good assets there. Bryce Young is almost entirely, in my opinion, um, in, especially in like C2C or Debbie leagues, should always be the third or fourth quarterback taken. Obviously, DJ Uagalele is the best, but I think Bryce Young is close to that. Uh, who is a college guy who could break out next season, a.k.a. in the Zach Wilson line of things? So uh, I'm not going to go that that's far out. Uh, tiny school uh, I've never heard of, but uh, Eric Gray, I think, has the best chance of improving its stock this year. I think he's going to have a great season with Oklahoma. Um, running back for Oklahoma, just transferred from Tennessee, I think. Uh, and then John Mechie, wide receiver, Alabama. He showed flashes last year. I think he's automatically going to be in that wide receiver one role next year. And it doesn't matter who is the quarterback or other receivers or whatever. Alabama's offense is going to be good. So top wide receiver on Alabama's offense has a chance of being a first-round pick. So, <laughs> Even if it's Henry Ruggs, right? Uh, let's uh, let's talk about what, what do you think quickly? What happens to Deshaun Watson? Uh, gets put on the commissioner's exempt list for six to eight games, plays the second half of the year. Then, I don't know. Who knows? I... I believe he would play for the Texans again if he doesn't get traded. I think the situation's got so murky, nobody's going to trade for him. Um, there's only like two teams maybe that would actually trade for a quarterback of his caliber. And I think the Broncos would be all in on Rodgers before they're all in on Watson. Um, and I think I think the situation's just too muddy to, for a team to trade for him. And I think he realizes that and would play for the Texans again. But I think he's suspended for the first half of the year either way. Just even if even if nothing comes out of the lawsuits, the commissioner, I believe, will put his foot down. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Uh, what about Aaron Rodgers? Where does he end up? See, that's a little – I don't know. I think I think he could retire. <laughs> there's, a, there's a small, slim chance he would retire before playing for the Packers again, I think – just because he's that uh, like 37 or 38, whatever he is, but <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. Um, I, I think if he holds out long enough, the Broncos will throw whatever they can at the Packers. I believe, I believe either plays for the Packers again, slim chance, retires, slim chance, or I think the highest chance, honestly, is play for the Broncos. So. Well, I sure hope so. I mean, that would be wheels up for Jerry Judy, who I believe is going to be a top five wide receiver next year for sure. 
Um, let's move on to Super Bowl predictions. Oh, well, hey, Corlin Sutton, get out of here. He's do you have you seen him running around with this Gronk brace on his knee? Good gracious, he looks like a freaking transformer out there. Um, let's let's hit on Super Bowl predictions who makes it, who wins, why? Well. But no, that, that Browns <laughs> Browns equals false hope, and I don't even believe they'll make it to the Super Bowl. But I think you can't go past Tampa Bay. I mean, they have literally every starter back. I don't know how you can say Tampa Bay isn't the favorite to be back in the Super Bowl, especially with Brady, who's the GOAT. So Tampa Bay uh, in the NFC, and then I think Buffalo. I want to say Buffalo, but that's just to be different because I don't want to say Kansas City again. <laughs> or Baltimore. I, I mean, I don't know. If Baltimore puts puts the pieces together, I mean, they have a top five defense and they have one of the most prolific quarterbacks. If they could just get an offense that can beat a semi-good defense, then I think Baltimore also has a really good chance. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Um, I think there's a team out of the NFC that people might be sleeping on. I think it's the Rams. Um, I think they could be really, really good this year. Uh, but you're right, Tampa Bay, and all they did was reload. Not only did they get all their starters back, but they traded it up for Jalen Darden. They, I mean, they went out and Ty, you got Tyler Johnson, who's going to be a year more uh, uh, associated with the system. I, I just don't see a situation in which they're not, you know, an absolute I think there's, superstar. There's like a 90% chance they get to the NFC Championship. Maybe yeah, somebody I think can the, knock them out, but I don't know. I think it's the only thing that the only thing that could possibly happen to them is that Tom Brady actually starts looking like he's, you know, filing for AARP and <laughs> cashing in on Social Security. Um, I think that's the only way that like he they actually do it. Uh, here's a question: Who do you think who do you think loses their arm first, Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady? Oh, I think Roethlisberger's already lost his arm. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. He throws like a wet noodle out there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, Roethlisberger was all right when they could somewhat run the ball at the first, like, six games of the year last year. But I don't know. They, I mean, when you literally can't run the ball and you have to rely on Roethlisberger to throw 50 times, he can't throw 50 times anymore. So, uh, no, I, I agree. That's another one. It's like I have Claypool. I want him to be good. But, man, the Steelers – Offense right now is, I think, rough. Their defense yeah. is great, but their offense is rough. Brown season. Brown season. I promise you it's going to happen, man. Um, best team in the AFC North, for sure. Uh, if we can, if they can put all the pieces together, I'm really excited for it. I will say um, some of their offseason acquisitions are going completely under the radar. Uh, our defense got better. Offensive line got better. Wide receiving room got better. Trade Odell Beckham Jr. for the love of all that is good. Get him out of Cleveland. He's uh, gone here, but yeah. They golly eat the cap space. Just get rid of the Joker. Uh, why he has some semblance of trade value. Um, I think I think OBJ is going to be a sad, tragic story of what could have been. I don't think he'll ever return to those 2014 to 2016 years. But um, man, such a sad thing. I was I was so thrilled when he came, but juice man. He is the perfect Cleveland wide receiver. Um, hey, as we leave here, random stat for you. Who led the NFL last year in knockdown blocks? Answer, Jarvis Landry. Did he really? What a crazy stat. <laughs> yeah. More than any offensive lineman, fullback, or tight end, Jarvis Landry led the entire league in knockdown blocks last year. 
And he's like 5'10", like 200. Like, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's like Devonta Smith out there, except like a Mack truck when he hits you. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I, I think that's such a cool stat. Also, Juju awesome. Smith-Schuster was in the top 15 of that list. Hey, so, uh, Juju's a better NFL wide receiver than he is a fantasy receiver. Oh, I agree. I mean, he is he's a great four-year team, but he's not a fantasy wide receiver, a top fantasy wide receiver anymore. But with that being said, Justin Rogers, you're looking to offset Juju Smith-Schuster. I know a guy who's buying wide receivers right now. Let's talk. Uh, Cameron, anything else you want to say to the league before we wrap it up here? No, no, it's it's fun. I'm ready for the season. Get It's only May. I know. Dang, we got some time to kill, don't we? Right. <laughs> we got plenty of time to trade DeAndre Swift if you ever want to keep me up. You know what I'm saying? How many more uh, controversial Bishop trades will happen before the season starts? Over, under, one. on 10 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> 10 and a half. Uh, no, I'm, man, I'm, I'm finishing up the rebuild. I got some assets. I'm looking to flip. Give me the wide receivers. I don't even care if I'm running out Miles Gaskin and Chase Edmonds as my starting running backs. I just want the best wide receiver room in the league. So make it happen, league. Come talk to me. I'm desperate. But until next week, see you guys later. Um, and we're looking forward to a great and exciting offseason.